Thank you for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson, produced by Surefire Local. Over 50,000 people have listened to Mark's podcast series specifically for home improvement businesses. You can subscribe to this podcast on any mobile phone using iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, I'm Mark Richardson, and welcome to Remodeling Mastery. Remodeling Mastery is a podcast series that I try to take different topics, conversations with thought leaders, as well as bringing you insights about the remodeling industry that really help you take your business to the next level. Today, I want to talk about a topic that I think is one of these kind of buzzwords or one of these things we're hearing a lot of out there. And I want to try to have you make some sense of it. And the topic is being more transparent or transparency. This particular podcast series is supported by NARI, National Association of the Remodeling Industry, as well as Professional Remodeler Magazine. And it's produced by my friends at Surefire. So let's dive into our topic today about transparency. Historically, in the remodeling industry, for the last 40, 50 years, most remodelers, whether they're full service or specialty remodelers, are kind of used to being asked or requested to do something, putting together some level of cost, whether it's at the kitchen table or whether it's preparing it in advance, and then presenting that as a fixed price, presenting that as a cost. Today, I think in large part because of the internet and the transparency, your client today knows more about the products in many cases than you. They know more about costing in large part because of the internet than you. And they even know more about you because of all the online reviews than you might know about yourself. So as a result of this, it's created a dynamic. I think that homeowners today have a different kind of expectation that they did in the past. I was at a conference recently where one of the leaders at Google actually presented some inf- interesting information about, you know, one of the key elements in terms of websites today, you need to have transparency, not only in terms of your process, your product and system, but also transparency in terms of pricing as well. Matter of fact, they actually showed that two thirds of the homeowners out there When they're doing their research, if you don't have some level of pricing transparency on your website, then they feel like you're not trustworthy. And I know that's an extreme kind of comment to many of you out there, because I know almost everyone listening to this is very trustworthy and honest and hardworking. But if that is what the perception is, then what happens is the homeowners tend to just go on to someone else and eventually they'll gravitate to someone that they feel kind of comfortable when it comes to this topic of transparency. So why is it that I think people feel uncomfortable about it? Well, number one, I think there's a natural tendency when the client wants either a breakdown or wants more pricing transparency, you know, it makes you feel like you're almost kind of a little bit naked or they're kind of getting into the secret sauce. For some of you, I think this transparency, quite frankly, just says, you know, it's just more work. Why should I do more work involved when I can put together my pricing and give them a fixed price and just kind of move on? In any case, it's here to stay, and I think it's important that you address it seriously. So the following are a few tips that I've been 
thinking about and certainly writing about as well. Number one is I think it's good to get some feedback. So ask some of your previous trusted clients, you know, what is their kind of reaction and thought process when it comes to the subject of transparency? You know, maybe you want to talk to some of your prospects. And I think if you approach this in a little bit more of a proactive, conversational way to people that you can trust, I think collectively they're going to give you some insights in terms of not only the importance of the topic, but also how you might go about approaching it. Number two is I think you need to educate when it comes to transparency. Now, education in large part is going to be with the client, but it's also going to be internally as well. So rather than wearing your kind of defensive shields when it comes to this subject, I want you to think about trying to be more proficient at educating the client. For example, you might use more metaphors, metaphors in terms of comparing another type of product or service as it relates to yours and the challenge in terms of breaking it out. You know, for example, you might use an example relating to an automobile. You know, when you're buying an automobile, yes, there's certain levels of pricing transparency, but for the most part, you're not asking for a breakdown of the steering wheel and the radio when you're buying a car. The second is you might want to try to use different language when it comes to pricing transparency. Rather than just assume that the client wants a detailed breakdown of the cost, start to think of it in terms of blends. For example, you might have three primary blends uh, on a remodeling project. You have labor, you have materials, and then you have uh, subcontractors. And you might ask a client, you know, are you interested kind of in the blend or the percentage of each one of those? You might also use some third-party data when it comes to this. There's a lot of information out there when it comes to a percentage that, let's say, a kitchen or a bathroom ought to be in terms of uh, uh, the cost of the, of the base home. So that while you're not giving them an exact number, you are giving them some kind of broader, broader understanding. I think it's not also unreasonable, given kind of the, the little bit of scarcity of net-net profit for most companies, to really be very open and transparent when it comes to letting them know what your net profit target margin is uh, in the course of the conversation. You might say, well, what we target, Mary and John, is about a 5 to 10% net profit, and we need to have that level of net profit to be able to uh, uh, support and certainly service you in the future. By letting them know that up front, I think there's nothing wrong with, with that kind of a communication. But most importantly, most of your clients are going to say, wow, that doesn't seem like a, lo a lot, and you're going to move on. Okay. Number three, when it comes to the topic of how to go about doing the transparency, educating, kind of getting the comfort, pull the team together. Try to brainstorm ideas within your team. Try to listen to what they have to say, not just in terms of how to do it, but what's their ear to the ground of what they're hearing from the client. Number four is when you actually execute some transparency strategy, I would encourage you to start simple and start small. For example, if right now you're giving fixed prices on things, you might break it down into about seven categories. For example, you might break it down into the labor, the material some of the key subcontractors, mechanical subs, and so on. Then you might also 
break out some of your project management or some of the procurement costs and then have a line item just for kind of the broad kind of overhead and then obviously your net profit. By breaking it just in simple parts like that, probably two-thirds of the people that you're talking to will in fact feel pretty comfortable. And number five, I guess, tip or comment would be try to track the results. You know, you don't want to take what you've done for 20, 30, 40 years and throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because you hear a few squeaky wheels of clients on this, you, you may want to track the results. In other words, does this really make a difference in terms of my close rate? Am I seeing sales kind of flow in as a result of it? Are clients feeling more comfortable? And I think if you can track the results of these efforts that you put in, uh, I think that's going to give you, I think, the insights you need, not only to adjust and tweak, but also to continue. So I want to thank everybody for listening to this portion of the podcast. Stay tuned. We have a great thought leader coming up. So uh, again, I want to uh, encourage you to subscribe to the podcast. Don't just listen to individual ones, and then you'll automatically get these about every two weeks. And again, I want to thank those that are supporting this with Neri, Professional Remodeler, and certainly my friends at Surefire. So I'll speak to you shortly. Hi, Mark Richardson here, host of Remodeling Mastery and certainly excited about a lot of things happening in the industry. Many of you have been listening to this podcast and other interviews with many of the thought leaders. Well, we've got a chance that you can actually meet these thought leaders and interact and ask a lot of questions of the thought leaders. Coming up in Chicago on September 12th and 13th is the Extreme Sales Summit. The Extreme Sales Summit is an exclusive event. Uh, it's actually led by Professional Remodeler Magazine, and it's at the Lowe's Hotel. It's something that should be very, very interesting and exciting. Uh, there's a lot of different things that this event is really trying to accomplish. Uh, one is we're going to be having speakers there that are focusing on kind of the future consumer and how to sell to them. Uh, an organization that many of you have heard of, Google, and their head of the industry is going to share some of the uh, insights that they have on how consumers want to be sold today, and this is going to be shared. Also, we're going to be looking at different sales models that are out there. The selling of, you know, innovative organizations like Tesla and the medical industry and certainly some of the other retailing and how that really overlaps to the remodeling sales process itself. Selling financing. Many people out there today sell financing. However, the reality is financing is all about how to about increasing your close rate and seeing better results. We're also going to be looking at sales culture and how to retain and keep top gun salespeople. You know, high tech versus high touch. Today more than ever, you need that balance. And at the Extreme Sales Summit, there's going to be speakers sharing some different technologies to be able to take your sales game to the next level. So as I said, in addition to everything else, many of the remodeling thought leaders, including Brian Gottlieb and Bill Baldwin and Vince Nardo and many others who you've actually heard on this podcast series are going to be there, not only interacting certainly with the group and the crowd, but also uh, they're going to be there certainly speaking and sharing more insights. 
So there's many different partners there to try to help and support from the marketing industry, certainly from the financing industries, from also the products and processes out there. So I encourage you to check this out. Uh, Again, it's coming up September 12th and 13th, and it is in Chicago at the Lowe's Hotel near the O'Hare Airport. Very easy, in and out, and I encourage you, and I look forward to hopefully meeting you myself directly then. Take care. Welcome back to Remodeling Mastery, and I'm excited uh, to have a conversation with a good friend and certainly a thought leader, Brian Gottlieb, who is the founder and president of Tundraland, uh, which is a remodeling organization that is based in Wisconsin, and I'll certainly allow uh, Brian to expand on that. But what I encourage, I think, the listeners more than anything in this particular segment of Remodeling Mastery to not only listen to what I think is a pretty interesting story, but also to reflect on how does that overlay or compare to your path? You know, what are some of those lessons learned? How can Brian try to help you avoid some of the mistakes that sometimes remodelers tend to make. So with that being said, Brian, welcome to uh, Remodeling Mastery. Mark, Mark, thanks very, very much for the invite. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, my, my pleasure. So let's start kind of more broadly. Obviously, I want to take it down a path of more talking about you and certainly your journey, but let's talk a little bit more of who uh, Tundraland is. Matter of fact, as I was thinking about that, I'm not sure you've ever explained to me even the the roots of the name of your company. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. The roots of the name, I appreciate it. Yeah. So Tundraland, by the way, is a, is a home improvement company, and we specialize in American-made products. We do a ton of bath remodeling projects, uh, replacement windows, uh, a decks in a day, uh, and and just all, uh, so real real home improvement products that usually can get done in a day for people, and that's really the specialty. And we also we're also uh, heavily into the aging in place business. So, so that, that's what the business is. Well, that's not truly what defines us as a business. But before I get into that, I will tell you where the name came from. So when I was, you know, it's all about how do you find a name.com that makes sense, right? So what I tried to do is I tried to put two words together that didn't normally fit. And since we're in the, the frozen tundra, I thought, well, why not tundra land? And that's in tundraland.com was available. So I, I grabbed that and then I picked up the telephone and I, I dialed 1-800-TUNDRALAND and this guy out of uh, this guy in the South answered, he had a plumbing store, and I asked him if he wanted to sell his phone number, and he said, sure, so now we have 800 Tundraland, Tundraland.com. <laughs> That's where it came wow. from. Wow. <laughs> yeah. What a great story. So uh, with all that being said, let's, let's dive into Brian Gottlieb's story. How did you, uh, you kind of get this thing out of the gate? So Tundraland started, so let's back up. You know, before Tundraland, I started in the industry, uh, like like a lot of people, doing construction work, and and I had back surgery years and years and years ago, so I had to I had to put down the hammer and and pick up the textbook. So it was a big transition for me because I could no longer work with my hands; my body just simply couldn't do it. So I, I started uh, learning about sales and 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 studying sales and and became a salesperson. And next thing you know, I'm a sales manager. And, and, and it eventually led me down the path of being a consultant in the industry. And as we both know, in 2008 and 2009, a whole lot of companies went out of business uh, in the home improvement sector. It was, a, it was a tough time. 
And as a consultant, throughout my years, one of the great things, and you know, you visit a lot of companies as well, that there's a lot of great stuff we can learn from a lot of really, really smart people. And there's also an equal list of things that, wow, if I ever have a business, I'm never going to do that. So it was really me getting my PhD in business by visiting with other companies. So in 08 and 09, as these companies around in Wisconsin kind of fell off, uh, there was a Four Seasons Sunroom location that became available in our market. So I decided to, well, why not just create a local business, something a little different, because after all, when a lot of people are out of work, that means there's some great craftsmen looking for something to do. So on, on, in the back of a friend's warehouse, on a plastic folding table with $3,000 in cash, I opened up Tundra Land. And that's how the business started. We haven't looked back. Wow. <laughs> what, what, what a great origin. Now, kind yeah. of move fast forwarding it today, because that was, you know, almost or about 10 years ago, right? Uh, what, what, what is a snapshot of, you know, just roughly the scale and the revenues of, of Tundra Land today? Yeah, so, so today, Tundraland, while we cover the state of Wisconsin, we also opened up in the state of Arizona. And wow. on January 2nd, we opened up uh, covering uh, Long Island, the five boroughs, Westchester, and Rockland County. Uh, with uh, so, so we continue to grow. And as we're building out our 2019 Performa, our conservative goal is $50 million, which is pretty exciting. <laughs> it's been a fun ride. It's been a fun ride. Now, one of the things that I, I find kind of interesting is you even use this term, you kind of put down the hammer and picked up the textbook. One of the things that I know you've always had a real thirst for learning and improvement. And, you know, as, as you point out, when you were a consultant or certainly, you know, as I get out and advise people, I think a fairly common question I get is, you know, how do I take my business to the next level? Where do sure. I learn this stuff? Because, you know, the reality is remodeling university is you know, compared to other uh, programs just doesn't exist. So how would you kind of recommend or advise people to just learn more about some of the keys to success and how to take your business to the next level? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, there, there, there are a lot of ways, in my opinion, that there's how do you take it to the next level and then how do you really explode it? So taking it to the next level, the first step is obviously – in my opinion, listening to podcasts like this, reading as much as you can, and and hanging out with with like-minded individuals that are that are growth focused. That are look, we we can we can find plenty of people in this universe that are negative. Find positive people that are growth focused that believe that they can accomplish something fantastic in this world, and just hang out with them and and be part of it. And and because because you know what we practice in life, we become excellent at. And if we practice hanging out with positive people that are growth-minded, we're going to grow ourselves, and that's really important. But I think the key to really exploding a business, you know, they say the Mark, they say that the two most important days of our lives are the day that we're born and the day we finally figure out why. And, and when we understand really our true point of differentiation as a business, as a business owner, and all of that, that's when the business goes, starts to grow exponentially. If I could share a quick story with you, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So when I was doing consulting work, and when I started my consulting business, the, the name of my consulting business was Silverstone Training, and it was a sales training organization. And I thought, I thought I was a sales trainer. That's what I really thought I was. And I thought my point of differentiation was that, that, that I knew how to close. So I started surveying uh, all the, the people that went through the class. And I, 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 I kept a paper copy of every single survey 
when somebody went through a Silverstone training class, I kept the paper copy. I still have that book today, and it's about three inches thick. And I, and I asked people, what, you know, tell me your impression of what you experienced. And I started seeing words like motivational, inspirational, all of these words that, that I never saw that in myself. I never, I never viewed myself as being an inspirational person. And I thought, well, if people are telling me I'm that, what if I start to really do more of that? And that's when I truly discovered my full potential. So I think it's, it's, it's a great experience that when we look inside of ourselves to find out who are we, who are we really, and we apply those principles, that's when nobody can compete with us. And that's how we build an, an enormous business. And I, I love, Brian, kind of your, your, you know, your why kind of question. But let's kind of turn that a little bit more and if you can articulate it in, in you know, whatever, a sentence or two. But, you know, why Tunderland? Why do you do what you do? Why do I do what I do? As a business owner, the greatest opportunity is to encourage and inspire another individual to accomplish something greater than they ever thought possible before. And the more the individuals in the organization grow, the more I personally grow. The path to me realizing my full potential lives through other people first realizing theirs. Excellent. Yeah, one of the themes, matter of fact, it's, it's, it's certainly one I'm sure you live by, but I also, you know, spend a fair amount of time thinking about and writing and trying to coach with is it, you know, if you give, you get. And, right. you know, many people... You know, our parents taught us to be, you know, kind and generous and those kind of things. But I think that the aha for you and certainly something I discovered as well, that you giving is how you get, is how you grow. And if the more that you can motivate and give to others and help train others and help them be better, the more Brian takes his game to the next level. And, and it's been the secret of our growth in, in, as a business is that it's not just about giving of myself and, and growing people, but it's also about making a positive impact in the community that we serve. So as you know, we do a lot of community involvement. We do a tremendous amount of, 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 of good. Our, our, our mission statement is to do well and do good. It's our belief that, that the, the opportunity of business is to make a decent profit, but do so decently. And and we prove that through our Tunderland Cares efforts and giving a lot back to the community. And we find that when we give to the community, the community wants to do business with us. So it just changes, it just changes the whole paradigm of, of how business is done. Now, you have a wonderful story that I'd like you to share with the listeners that uh, involves, you know, some of the old windows that you, you took out. And it kind of ties back into this, you know, community outreach. Why don't you share that for the listeners? <laughs> yeah, that's great. So wherever possible, we try to prove our mission statement. So we try to execute on the idea of doing well and doing good. And one way is we, we look, how can we make a difference with the things that we're very good at? And, and we'll install about you know, 12,000 windows in people's homes over the course of a year. So normally what you do is you take the old windows out of the homes and you take those old frames and you toss them in the trash and they go off to the landfill. And we thought, you know, what a shame that is. And, and how, can we, how can we do something with these old window frames? So we started working with, uh, and this has started a few years ago, we take the old window frames and we work with local artists, community members, TV stations, kids in uh, elementary school and high school, and we create art projects and people paint and decorate these, these old windows, they repurpose them into beautiful pieces of art. And then once a year, we display these art pieces in Appleton and we do a giant silent auction. 
And the money raised, 100% of the money raised, goes to make a positive impact in the life of a deserving individual inside of our community. Uh, one year, it was a fellow named John Green who's been stuck in a wheelchair for over 40 years. The money raised was actually able to help him get a wheelchair that stands up. And John can stand up for the first time in 40 years off of windows that would normally go in the trash that were painted by people in the community. So it's, it's just, those are some ways where we can say, okay, we can truly put our thumbprint on this universe today and make a positive impact while at the same time growing a business. Wow, what a wonderful story. You know, another element that I want maybe you to expand on and share that I know since I've gotten to know you, Brian, it's, it's one that I that not only resonates for me, but I think makes so much sense. And that is your, your, your focus on speed as it relates to the remodeling process. Maybe you can kind of at least share uh, a particular division of your company that that's really your focus, but also, you know, maybe some of the results or some of the outcome of, of, of that focus. Yeah, so it came from, as we were like a rapid-growing company, to go from, from starting up on a folding table to next to a $50 million company, you know, there are going to be some bumps along the way. And as we grew, one of, the, one, of the, one of the complaints we had from our customer base was communication, not being great communicators. And look, that's probably true for just about most construction companies. There's a problem with communication. And we started throwing bodies and money at trying to solve the communication issue. And, and the more we grew the more it still kept coming back to us. So we said, okay, let's just start over. What is the customer saying when, when they're talking about a communication problem? How do we solve that? And the answer is, we don't talk to them at all. In other words, if we install, if somebody buys a bath from us today, what if we can install it as soon as tomorrow? What does that do for solving the communication challenge within our organization? And then we started looking at, well, what does that do for cash Flow for a point of differentiation, for an operational point of differentiation. So whether it's a bath or our decks in a day program, if somebody buys a new deck on the back of their home, we can actually install it next week. And if somebody buys a bath from us, we can install it as soon as tomorrow. And it totally changes the relationship we have with our customers from a customer delight standpoint, but also as a competitive edge that's very, very difficult to compete with. Now, you say as a competitive edge, how about some of the key metrics? Have you found that this kind of uh, uh, speed component has influenced close rate or gross profit or you know yeah. total revenues? Yeah. So so check 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 uh, all three. Number one. Uh, so just imagine, here we are coming into home show season, and we've got forty some odd salespeople. And imagine you know, we can come to your home as soon as today and install your bath as soon as tomorrow. Before they even are able to get a price from anybody else, the job's already finished. So from a strategy standpoint, it makes a whole lot of sense. From a cash standpoint, cash turns immediately. So it's, 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 it's done and paid, and, and our salespeople love it because then they're paid also. So we're able to actually capture a larger, a larger margin. And the other great thing is because we have a model in place where we can install something as soon as tomorrow, if something does go wrong on the job, we probably have something in stock where we're not missing that install day and we can put something right back in its place. So all the way across the board, it's helped with margin, it's helped with differentiation, and it's just something that we really hang our hat on. And I'll tell you what, it took us a year to put this together, so it's not that easy to replicate and it's really cool once you get it going though. Excellent. Well, as I said, I'm sure there are a lot of folks out there that now not only are saying wow, but 
kind of scratching their head to kind of try and imagine what they could be doing. So let, let's shift gears a little bit. I know sure. one of the common denominators, I think, in, in the certainly with any successful, you know, business owner is that they've, you know, stepped in a few potholes at times. <laughs> they've made a few mistakes. They've yeah. thought to themselves, crap, I wish I hadn't, have do- hadn't done that. If you had to articulate, a, you know, one or two mistakes to, you know, those many people out there that are trying to avoid some of those potholes, what, 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 what would a couple of those be? Yeah, I think, I think probably the, the, two, the two biggest learning curves for, my, for our company, for, for myself personally, is it's easy in this business to mistake cash for profits, number one. And, and they're, they're definitely not the same. And it's really important to know the numbers of the business, how the business makes money, and understand that cash is king, but profitability, a business must be profitable. So, but, but I, think, I think the biggest mistake we made as an organization was uh, early on uh, when we were going through rapid growth, we thought we were full of hubris. We actually thought we could do anything. And we thought we could open up anywhere and do anything. And I remember we opened up a location in our first expansion idea was to open up in in Ohio, and don't ask me why we picked Ohio. It's not convenient to Wisconsin, by the way. There's really no good direct flight. Uh, and so we, we tried to open up a sunroom division in Ohio. And you know, a year into it, we just fell flat on our face. I never realized the importance of replicating culture. And, and today we understand how important culture is in our organization and how absolutely important it is that when replicating a business, we must first replicate the culture. Because after all, and, and, and because that's truly our point of differentiation, it's truly at the core of our business, the thing that lets us stand alone, and we can, and, and we can never forget that. We have a saying around our company that when, when the conversation of competition comes up, we don't pay much attention to it because if our competition wants to copy our performance, they first have to copy what goes on inside of our people's heads. And, and wow. because of that- That's, that's that, powerful. Yep. Yeah. So that's that. That was probably the biggest learning curve of the business. Yeah, and I, I, you know, related to that. I oftentimes, you know, with people kind of being so excited about multiple locations and what have you, oftentimes given the advice of number one, my rule of thumb is, you know, a remote location is three times as hard as the home base, mm-hmm. and number two is I immediately ask is who's the champion because the champion yeah. is the one that ultimately carries kind of the baton of the culture. And without that right champion within that satellite location, more times than not, you're going to be certainly challenged. You're absolutely right. And, and without a doubt, you might have some short success, but boy, oh boy, culture will take a hard left turn without that champion. Great point. So one of the things that I find is common denominator between, you know, kind of the most successful is the whole notion of uh, kind of mastering time and, and the ability to kind of really plan properly for kind of the future. And I know, you know, you have some processes that you go through on an annualized basis. And I think, you know, why don't you share a little bit of that in terms of how you plan for the new year and how you think about things as you're moving forward? Yeah. So I, I think one of the, well, well, Culture as a foundation uh, is exceptionally important. I think from a from a from a talent standpoint and from a business standpoint, 
the ability to predict, the ability to be to, to predict inside of an organization is, is right up there as one of the most important things to do. After all, it doesn't matter if you run a business with a 7% marketing expense or 17% marketing expense, as long as you can predict it and execute on it, then you can build a business model around it. So what we really focus in on is setting up a tremendous amount of targets early on and then monthly and monthly and month by month by month, seeing how close we come to our predictions and how accurate we are. And the more we do that, the better we become at predicting. And, and, and then the more predictable we are, the more we can then take some risk. So what I do every single year is it, it, usually around November, mid-November, uh, I take a, a stamp of the business. I take a, a picture of our website. I take a, a, an image of our pricing book. I take what scripts are we using? What, what marketing sources are we in? What, what the, I even take a picture of, of whatever screensaver I have on my laptop. It's really a timestamp of the business. And I line, align it with what did I think, where did I think we were going to be? And where did we end up? Because the more I do that, then the more I have faith in where I'm going to predict to. And, and the last thing I'll tell you is predicting and creating targets. It's not me living in, in, a, in an ivory tower somewhere. This is getting our leadership teams buy-in and participation and all of that is so essential in all of this. And so it shouldn't be done alone. It should be, done, in my opinion, be done as a team effort. You know, I think what's powerful about that uh, approach is that it's also very scalable. As your company's small, and it might be that you're, for the most part, looking in the mirror doing that process and focusing on taking the inventory and predicting as the company grows, you want to start to get your leadership team, even if it's two or three people at a time, but then ultimately it's very scalable to, you know, to, to, to what obviously Brian's been able to accomplish. So Brian, let me, let me ask kind of a, you know, a little bit of a question that I'm always a little bit curious about in that you've clearly been on a very interesting path. You've, grown probably, I would argue, you know, in 10 years from, you know, kind of conception to, you know, roughly $50 million company, almost an unheard of kind of amount of growth. Um, How much of that do you think is kind of being in the right place at the right time versus, Mm -hmm. you know, just that, you know, you ground through it. You just, you know, you were smarter than everybody else that you, uh, you know, you happen to, you know, bring on board, you know, one of those franchise players that ended up, you know, just scoring a heck of a lot of points for you. But how much of it was kind of the doing it and the hard work versus, you know, being in the right place at the right time? Yeah, I think the, I think from a hard work standpoint, here, here was the hard work for, and it, and it continues to be the hard work. The hard work is, is you know, do, doing the things that, that, that we necessarily don't want to do, but are good for the business. So by example, Look, I'm a busy guy, I'm a busy guy, but getting away to conferences, going to mastermind groups, uh, hanging out with peers, that's hard work when we're busy. But yet, if I didn't do that, we wouldn't have grown to where we are today. You know, the hard work of, of looking in the mirror and, and constantly analyzing the business and saying, you know, if I had to do this over again, what would I have done differently? Or, you know, that's the, the hard work is the personal development. That's where the hard work comes from. Then, of course, you know, the luck side, you know, does everything work together? Do you have the right people? Do you have the right model? Can you attract people? Can you get people to, to, really, to really join you on a journey? And, and are all things working together? 
look, there are things we can control and there are things we can't control. You know, we can't control what the economy is going to do, but we can control how we choose to react to it. So w- will a growing economy be better for our business? Yeah, I, I would imagine it would be. And that's probably going to require a little bit of luck. But from a business discipline standpoint, will we, will we be okay if the economy pulls back? You bet, because we have good processes and systems and, and, and the ability to predict. Good stuff. So let's kind of move towards the close here. You know, you're kind of wearing a little bit of your kind of uh, speaker or panelist hat, and you're looking out to the audience, and you've got a lot of, you know, a lot of young faces, but also a lot of, you know, one, two, three million dollar businesses that say, wow, I just can't kind of even imagine myself being up at where Brian is. What are some, you know, kind of tips or advice that you would certainly give them? Right. So, so when I started this business again with $3,000 cash, and by the way, to this day, I haven't put another penny back into it. Never had to borrow a penny to grow it. So it's all been, it's all growth through, through, through the revenue that the business has generated. But what I did do is I, from day one, I set up a separate account. And in that separate account, when I got a check from any customer, whether it was a $100 check or a $500 check I took, or a $10 check, I took 7% of that check and I stuck it in a separate account. And that was my marketing money. And that was how I was going to market. So I always had marketing dollars so that I can continue to grow. And I think a lot of times companies, especially early on, they, they, you get caught in this catch-22 where you have so much work that you can't market because you're too busy. Then all of a sudden the work runs out, but now you got to scramble for more work and it's this catch-22 that you fall into. So it, to me, always set up a separate marketing fund. So you always have cash to keep that pipeline full. That's the first thing. And the second thing, the second thing, and I think probably the most important thing, is to understand that we, as whether, you're, whether you have one employee or, or 10 or 100 or 200 employees, we are in the business of growing people. That's, that's really our business. How do we get others to really, to really believe in themselves, to believe in each other, and, and to challenge themselves to realize their full potential. And, and the more you do that, the more you bring somebody along on that journey, the more they're going to be dedicated to the mission and, and, and the greater the business is going to become. It really just starts with one person getting them to join you on a journey. And to me, that's the secret of business. Excellent. Well, this has been an amazing conversation, uh, just not only going back to your why, very motivational and kind of inspirational for anybody listening. And I very much appreciate, Brian, you, you know, not only sharing some of these, you know, kind of philosophies and beliefs, but some, you know, real tangible things that people ought to be reflecting on. So thank you for joining Remodeling Mastery and certainly joining me today. Thank you. My pleasure. If you liked what you've heard, take a moment to subscribe to Remodeling Mastery on your phone using your favorite podcast app. It's available on all the major apps like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Go ahead and post in the comments what you learned and any questions you have for Mark, and he may answer them on an upcoming episode. Thank you again for listening to Remodeling Mastery by Mark G. Richardson.